Let's jump into the sermon. Let's pray first before we do. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today. God, we, we do hunger and thirst for your truth, your knowledge, which is who you are. So we desire to know you, to get to know you more this morning. And God, I pray that as I preach, you help us discover all that you have for us that we can uh, achieve through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my sermon has kind of changed a little bit from even yesterday. I think I gave the tech team the title of the sermon, Power and Meekness, um, but it kind of morphed this morning into in first service. Uh, it's called now, the sermon title is called The Power of Declaration. And I didn't do this on purpose, but it just so happens to be that we're coming up on the Declaration of Independence. And, um, and so today, I think it's important. Uh, I talked a little bit about it last week in our Father's Day sermon. If you missed it, um, go back and watch it. I talked about how you know, our children can receive demonic prophecy over their life. Yeah. And so we got to be the catalysts, the capitals over our kids' lives and other people's life to make sure that we're declaring and prophesying uh, what we see God doing in their life. Amen. Yeah. You say, I'm not a prophet. Pastor, I'm not a prophet. Well, a, a, a prophet, somebody who declares prophecy is somebody who is professing what you see. And we're living in an hour where the church needs to be the loudest place that's professing what they see over people's identities and over their lives. Are you with me today? And, um, and so uh, today we're going to stay in that vein a little bit more. The power of our, our declaration, our confession, the things that we declare and the things that we say and speak. It matters in this hour that we be careful what we say and how we say it and what we're speaking over our lives. I have, a, I have many things that irk me in life. Uh, but, but one of the things that really drives me crazy sort of in this hour that we live in is how people feel so grand about the fact that they can see things that are wrong and say it. They, everybody's got an opinion about things that don't work. Like, well, they're doing it wrong over there and they're doing it wrong over there. And so you go to a church conference and they're describing to you what's broken in the church and here's what doesn't work and here's what doesn't work. And, and, and everybody's like saying this and saying that and people are going online and they're, they're always pointing out all the things that aren't right. But it seems like that's as far as people go. No, no one ever gets to a point and says, hey, here's what's broken. Here's what's broken. Now, here's how we can fix it. Here's how God's calling us to step in and make a difference. It's like it's like anybody can point out what's broken. Let's be a somebody who can step in and declare that there's a future and a hope and that God's got a plan. Are you with me? It's like if my car wasn't working and I knew it wasn't working and I took it into the mechanic and I bring it in, all the mechanic says to me, was like, oh, that right there is broken. I'm like, well, no kidding. I'm here because I need it to be fixed. How do we fix this thing? And I think if we're not careful, the church just becomes a place where all we do is get up and talk about how you're broken and you're broken and that's not working. But we're called to be a people that can come up and declare God's got a plan for you and a future and a hope. And he's got, are you with me today? And we've neglected this ability to, to profess what we see over people and speak God's goodness and truth into them because we're so busy talking about all the things that are wrong. Uh, young leaders, you're falling into a trap. I see this among young people in, in, in the next generation. And, and I, I guess maybe I'm somewhere in the middle, but. Uh, the young group, they, they love to say what's wrong. Well, you know, the boomers and the old generation and the rich white people, they all messed up all this stuff. And so the young people are always saying, the, the, the old people, they did all this, they messed all this kind of stuff up. And, and so they're doing it wrong. But the reality is, the reality is for the older generation, they actually built stuff. They actually achieved stuff. They actually accomplished some stuff. And I look at the young generation, they got a lot to say about what's not broken, but yet they've yet to establish anything in their life. 
They're going on podcasts talking about what's broken. They're making books and blogs and talks and TED Talks and all these kind of things. But yet when you ask them, okay, show me a path, show me a plan, they ain't got one. And so you old people are like, yeah, get the young people. Hold on, because it's your turn. <laughs> now, the, the generations before us have done an amazing job working hard and building structures and being dedicated and setting things together. But a huge flaw that took place was you got competitive with the next generation and you never built a bridge. So your work only went so far. So you got a young generation saying, oh, this one, this one. And they're never coming together and we lose all momentum and everybody stays stuck in neutral. Yet the scripture says in the last days, we'll see a generation of the young and old working together. We have to be careful about how we talk about other generations and those above us and beneath us because God wants us to declare and decree the coming together of what we see in the kingdom. Are you with me today? And so it's important that we say things because the kingdom of God, the scripture says, is an everlasting kingdom. The scripture of God and, or, or the, the kingdom of God and the accomplishments of God and the works of God are from generation to generation. The scripture talks about how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have these covenants that God holds. God's design is for it to always be father, son, grandchild, mother, daughter, granddaughter. God's design is for us to be in this together. So we got to make sure that we're declaring and speaking the right things over these generations. Are you with me today? I share this scripture all the time. But it's so important for us to get this. Proverbs 18, 21 says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. What you say, you're going to have its result. Proverbs 18, 21 in the Passion Translation, uh, just so you know, I've given the tech team some scriptures. I said, guys, here's my core scriptures, but I'm going to be machine gunning out a whole bunch of other stuff. So some will hit the screen and then some you're going to have to just write down as fast as you can or depend on the Holy Spirit to put it in your heart. (laughs) But the Passion Translation says it this way, same passage, 1821. It says, your words are so powerful that they will kill or they will give life. And the talkative person will reap the consequences. Um, Can I tell you something about my life? I'm a talkative person. Can I tell you something about my childhood? I reaped some consequences of being a talkative person. You know, I probably never got in trouble for any action that I ever did, but I got a whole list of things that I said that got me in trouble. My tombstone will be John Mayer's song, my stupid mouth got me in trouble, (laughs) because that's my life. Because talkative, it's, it's like those of you who don't know how to control, how to guard your words, how to, how to understand that what you say has the ability to kill or the ability to bring life. You have the ability to kill atmospheres and workplaces and lunchrooms and school. You have the ability to kill these atmospheres or you have the ability to bring life to them. We know that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. His what? His speaking, his declaring, his saying. There was nothing until God declared and spoke and said, and then it came into being. Scripture says, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Some of you have some reports right now that your report has been that there, hey, there's nothing there. You got no hope. You got no chance. You got no future. You see no end in sight that's going to end positive. There's nothing there, but we need to be imitators of God and begin to speak and declare and see it come to be. Are you with me today? So Hebrews 11 says, This is how God put together the world. This is how God framed his world and has called us to be imitators, which means he's hardwired this principle into the universe, which is this. What you say, what you speak, what you declare comes to be. 
We say it all the time. We say you can frame your future by the words that you speak. What you are is a product of what you speak. What's on your tongue is going to be in your future. Now, I'm not getting up here trying to be the, 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 the bless me pastor. It's like, that's why you got to get up there and every day declare Ferrari, Ferrari. <laughs> every day, get up Ford Raptor, Ford Raptor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we line up our words with the kingdom values of God, the things that God's desire to see in our families and in our communities and in our churches. And we get up and we prophesy. We, we profess what we see over our communities. Are you with me? Winston Churchill understood this. The British prime minister in the 1900s was a, was a great leader of, of men and of soldiers, and he would go into battle and was known for being able to rally men in these hard times to go in and to fight. So they once asked him, like, hey, what's the deal? How do you, how do you have such success in leading these people and having these different things in the times that you face? And he said, well, it comes down to this for me. He said, I learned how to organize the English language and send it into battle. I mean, you know, if someone leading soldiers knows the power of words and the ability to articulate and inspire, how much more so would we, with the word of God in our hearts and in our minds, be able to declare and see? The process of following God requires our words, our declarations. When God said it in Genesis, when he said, this is how things come to be. It's something that we will forever imitate, and it's something that he set in motion for everything that we do in the kingdom of God. I thought about salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, God needs us saying and speaking when it comes to even our salvation. I need you to say it, declare it with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. We also know that God says, hey, do you want to walk in faith? Do you want to have a life of faith? Do you want to be somebody who sees mountains, moves, and, and do big things? Well, Mark eleven twenty three says this, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believes that it will happen. It will be done for them. Notice the scripture didn't say, hey, do you want to see that mountain move? Just think good thoughts. Just have nice wishes. What does it say? It says you got to get into your atmosphere and you got to begin to declare. You got to say some things to that mountain. You got to take God's word and you got to speak that truth at that mountain. We got to be a people who get what we say with our words right because they have the ability to kill or they have the ability to bring life. Are you with me today? What about repentance? Maybe repentance. Maybe the way that we find repentance is this, if we just feel guilty enough and God will maybe measure our hearts and say, okay, I'll forgive them because I can see that they feel guilty enough. No, you know what God wants us to do? To walk in repentance, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess. I need you to declare that you are repentive, that you want your, are you with me today? Again, it's confession. The scripture says this about God's word. God spoke and God gave us his word and God gave us his truth. Scripture says that God's up in heaven now and he's looking over. We got a great cloud of witnesses. We have all these people interceding for us. We have all these things happening. And Jeremiah 1.12 in the English standard version says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. It's like you have a God who's like, hey, you take that word and you speak it, and you say it, and you believe it, and you declare it, and I'm up there waiting to perform it in your life. But we got to say it. Are you with me today? Am I telling the truth? Language in our life matters. It really, really matters what we say, and what we hear, and what we speak. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4 says, a wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. As somebody who's just going on and saying, man, I wonder what they're saying on 
the news, and I'm going to believe that. I wonder what Facebook says. I'm, I'm going to listen to these deceitful lips, and I'm going to go with that. Or we're going to be a person who says, no, I need the truth in my life. I'm not listening to deceitful lips. I'm not listening to the spin of culture. I'm not listening to, are you with me today? But it says, I'm a person who's going to pay attention to God's truth. I wrote it down like this. A person lacking God's word or God's truth gives time to death-filled confessions. Uh, I'm trying to say somebody who's like, hey, where's the negative? I want to hear the negative. Turn on the news. I want to hear the negative. Sharing with all your buddies. Oh, did you hear this? Did you hear that negative? Have you seen that? This stupid people. I can't believe that they're trying to do that. We're giving all this attention to the negative confessions. Someone who's rooted in the truth says, I want nothing to do with those deceitful lips. I'm going to be centered in God's truth. Are you with me today? Proverbs 12, 18. I'm going somewhere with it. Just stay with me. I know I'm giving you a lot. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Remember that word. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Basically, with your words, it comes down to this. Are you going to use your words to pierce? Because that's easy. You get upset. You want to react. You say, oh, really? You get the sword and you start piercing. Or you could say, hold on a second. I only want to speak and declare what lines up with the word of God. And when I speak and declare, I want to bring to this atmosphere healing. You got two choices. You're piercing or you're healing. Many people, you say something you shouldn't have said. And you go, hold on, hold on. I didn't mean to say that. I take it. I take it back. Your words are like swords. Once you pierce, you can't take it back. We got to guard what we say. We got to guard what we declare. It really matters. They say 87. I'm not picking on the ladies here. This is just a stat that I pulled. 87% of conversations between two close women, 84% of their conversations have negative tones. 84% of your conversations or your declarations with somebody that you're close to have negative tones. Oh, these kids. You get with someone close. Can't stand these kids. And your friends over here are like, I know. We should kill them. I mean, I didn't. I was just kidding, kidding. These kids. And so if you're not careful, 84% of what you just continue to say is a negative declaration. My husband, I swear. She's like, my husband too? We should definitely kill him. <laughs> but if we're not careful, and I'm, and I, and I'm, not, I'm not being rough, I, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful, negative declaration, negative declaration, we walk around the house, we say, this kid, negative declaration, this husband, this one, negative, 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 this boss, this plan, this thing, and we just kill and cut and pierce with our words. Are you with me? They did a Facebook survey and uh, of all the countries, of everybody who's on social media. Now, we believe America's the best, the most prosperous, the most blessed, all this kind of stuff. We have the most reason to be happy and grateful and free. Uh, but they say of all the countries that are active on social media, the United States pulls in at the most negative social media updates. Our status updates come in as the most negative in all the world. We have the most going for us. Can I get an amen? <laughs> on upcoming 4th of July weekend, can I get an Amen. <laughs> But they say, they, they say that we're the most negative on social media. They say 68% of conversations in the first 15 minutes are negative. So here's how we decide to interact with one another in our first 15 minutes. Hey, man, how's it going? What are you up to? Uh, life. Blah, blah, blah. And we just start spitting out negative declarations over our lives. 
and back and forth to one another. This is something we have got to get better at in America and certainly in the church. Are you with me? Speaking and declaring what is good and what is true and has a future and a hope. They say this in our marriage. They say that if you have 10 negative comments in your marriage for every 100 comments made, if just 10 out of 100 comments made within your marriage, if 10 of them are negative, you're twice as likely to get divorced. Why? Because Proverbs just taught us life and death is in the power of the tongue. If you continually declare negativity, you're going to eat its fruit. We got to watch what we say and what we speak. Are you with me? Philippians chapter two, verse 14 in the New Living Translation says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. Parents of teenagers, I said it was Philippians 2.14. Every mirror, every everything. Think about that. Of all the things scripture could tell you to do, pray, fast, where all the big things I said, one of the things that is important for you to make sure that you do is do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? Because the power of confession and declaration that we're putting in our life. Are you with me? So here's Jesus. Now let's look to Jesus. How does Jesus live this out? How does Jesus watch his declarations and the words that he speaks? We find it here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 47 through 56. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, had a great multitude with swords and clubs. They weren't going golfing. They came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now his betrayer had given him a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. This is the setup of Jesus. Verse 49, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. There's this great betrayal and they're grabbing Jesus. And Peter says, oh, no, no, I'm going to react here. He grabs the sword. He takes a swing to cut the guy's head off, misses and chops off the ear. Now, most of us in that circle would have said to Peter, like, hey, Peter, was that appropriate? And most of us would have looked at it and said, yeah, it looked kind of like the right thing to do. Defend Jesus. Probably felt right as the right thing to do for Peter. And, and many in the circle, if we polled, like, hey, what do you guys think? Should you try? We'd say, yeah, it's probably justified. You should do that. But Jesus says to him, put your sword in its place for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jumping down to verse 56. All this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then the disciples forsook him and fled. Now we don't run around with swords. Most of us these days, but most scholars believe when Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. They thought and believed that it was in perfect parallel to what we just mentioned. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Watch what you say. We know it's like swords. If you live by these reactionary words, those reactionary words are going to be the thing that's your downfall. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. We know that the scripture says that God's word is sharper than any two-edged. God's word is like a sword. So Jesus is like, you live or die by the sword. You got to watch. You got to guard could it be that, that your words here, your quick reactions, you've got to guard those because if you live by those, you die by those. If you're someone who quickly blows up and responds with your words and reacts quickly and harshly, you got to be careful because you're going to live or you're going to die by those. Think about the word swords. You just take the word, you just take the letter S off and we have words. 
live and die by these words. It's possible. Life and death is in the power of our words. It's possible that we live and die by our words. Are you with me today? It's easy when we get on the call of God in our life, or we're trying to live out the purposes that he has for us. It's easy to get going on the road and stuff gets rough and stuff gets scary and stuff gets unstable. And we want to pull out that sword, our words, and we want to just start dissecting. I can't believe that person. And so we start just piercing. I can't believe this situation happened. Where's God? And we start piercing and questioning God's goodness and and poking holes in what we know is actually true. And maybe that's why God said, hey, listen, if you're going to make it in the kingdom, you got to be somebody who puts your hands to the plow and don't look back. You push, you keep going. You don't reach for the sword. You just stay about what God's called you to be about. Are you with me today? Jesus understood where this strength comes from. He understood that it's not about quick reaction and defending yourself with the sword. We see he's in front of Pilate. We see that Jesus could go on blast here. John chapter 19, verse 10. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, I'm going to guard what I say here. I don't need to go on blast in front of this guy because you know why? Because the one who's in control is not him. It's actually him. There's no reason for me to defend myself. And he's not the one who holds it all together. That one is. That guy has no power unless it comes from here. It needs to be the same thing in our minds and in our hearts. When, when stuff goes wrong and things look like they're stacked against us, instead of us trying to blow it up and handle it with our own words and our own swords, we go, hey, you know what? No reason for me to show up and blow this up. You know why? Because I know the one who calls my future. I, are you with me today? We see it again. Same thing, Matthew 26. I skipped a couple verses, but in verse 53, when Jesus was being arrested and sold out, the scripture says in verse 53, they're looking at everything that's going down in verse 53. Jesus says, or do you not think that I cannot pray now to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus, again, right there in that moment is like, hey, I could blow this whole thing up right now. I could react. I could have a comeback. I could have another option. But you know what? I don't need to blow this up because you know why? I know the one who holds my future. Are you with me today? Matthew 5, 5 says this, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. We don't have a word for the word meek. So most people interpret meek as weak. They look at Jesus standing before Pilate and they're like, wow, that guy is kind of weak. He's not saying anything. Maybe he's like really passive. Maybe he's not aggressive. Maybe he just is very weak. Or when he is getting arrested, uh, he didn't want a sword fight. He didn't call down angels. Maybe he's just a really weak guy. But the Greek word for uh, meek here is propath, which means this. It's a condition of mind and heart. Meekness is strong demonstration of gentleness, but it's not lacking power. It's mental strength under great control. It's neither dominant or neither spineless. It's Jesus saying, hey, I could all of these things, but I'm in such submission to God and his authority. And I'm also guarding my words in such a way right now that that I'm good here. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And that's where Jesus says this in verse 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39. But I tell you not to resist any evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Why? Because if we bust out the sword, we're going to pierce some things that will bring death. I'll close with this. He's saying like, hold, hold your sword. Be careful in that moment. Whatever you do, Do not become the evil that's being done to you. Guard your words. I'm worried 
and that's the wrong word. I'm concerned with Facebook and social media in the way that the church declares things. We jump on social and we go on blast. We have no meekness. We have no gentle strength. Are you with me? Uh, I want to read this to you, Colossians 3.16. This is from the Passion Bible. I don't always read this a lot. Um, it's kind of like a, a fun side. It's not my everyday reader, but it, it's just it's good to hear it from a different way. I know some people have a problem with it. And again, I wouldn't make it a daily reader, but I love the way that it says this in Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. We're like, yeah, God's word is good. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with psalms, with festive praises, and with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. One little side note here. That's why church here is not a song service. We don't come here and watch a band sing some songs off a of, off of screen. We come in here and we sing with all our hearts and we declare and we profess all of these powerful words. Let me say this. This is a sermon I'm working on for later, but a little preview. Do you know that they, there's accounts in scripture. I'm going through David's life right now. There's accounts in scripture that say because of the worship of David, God had grace for people 300 years after his death. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to do this that you deserve. And then they say, it's because of the worship. It's because of the, 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 the person who David was. So what I'm saying is this. On Sunday morning when you come in here and you choose to participate and profess and declare and put these words out into the atmosphere that is a spiritual atmosphere, and you say these things, heaven is looking up and saying, I'm going to make that that spiritual atmosphere, you just changed those things you declared and professed. When you got up here and worshiped, got Holy Spirit, pour yourself out, pour yourself out. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Heaven is going, yeah, that, that's going to last for generations. Yeah. It's not about coming to church and making sure you're attending and listen to these guys sing some songs off the wall. God is saying, hey, hey, these songs, these spiritual songs, these things that we're doing, I want to change generations with these declarations and these words that we're putting in the atmosphere. I could go on forever, but let's keep going. Verse 17. It says, let every activity of your lives. Okay, we know we got to get our behavior right for the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. Being a Christian is getting our behavior. Behavior matters. We got to make good choices. People got to see us come to church and read our Bible and go to women's study and men's study activity. Oh, but then it says this. It says, in every word that comes from your lips. This is what it is to be a disciple, is to let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with beauty of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and bring your consistent praise, declaration is praise, to God the Father because of what he has done for you. Prophecy, I'm almost done. The gift of prophecy is the right word at the right time to the right people. I just am so praying that the church becomes the movement in our culture where we keep showing up at this, on the scene at the right time to the right people with the right word. Uh, Proverbs 25, 11 in the English standard says it this way. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. You guys get it? No, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's what I had to do. This is what this means when you study it out. If you were invited to a high-class event, something special, 
and you get there, you, you get there and you say, oh, you guys, they have apples of gold seated or set in a plate of silver. So much so that you would leave, you're like, how was it? You're like, guys, guys, they, they, it was such a treat. Oh my gosh, it was such a treat. We went there and they had apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like, oh, we were so spoiled. It was such a treat. Scripture says that the church, the Christians, our words are called to be just like that. A word rightly fitted. A word rightly fitted. My concern is this, that when the world, when culture hears Christians talk, they don't so much say, that was a treat. Do they? They see our Facebook fighting. They see our comment sections. I don't believe they're walking away going, wow, I was really treated by those Christians with their rightly fitted words. God gave us so much power in our words that we have to understand that you have the ability to pierce or you have the ability to bring life and to bring healing. I'm both, guys. There are days where I'm like, you know what? It's time. I'm going haymaker on Facebook. <laughs> That's not rightly fitted. There are times for protest and standing up and engaging hard truth. I believe all that kind of stuff. The church actually needs more of that. Rightly fitted words. Rightly fitted words are the key. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I got one more thought and then we'll have a time of prayer. The scripture talks about Elijah. Just, just kind of be in an atmosphere of prayer because we're going to pray together in a minute. Scripture talks about how Elijah, the prophet, gets the word from the Lord and he tells everybody it's not going to rain three, three and a half years, whatever it is. It's a few years, it's not going to rain. He says, it's not going to rain. There'll be no rain. He declares this. He makes a declaration. He speaks a prophetic word. Scripture says, it's not going to rain, not even any dew. You know, it's a bad season when there's no rain and no Mountain Dew. Okay, three years, no dew, no rain. Some of you are like, we know what that's like. No rain, three years, we know. <laughs> so there's none of that. It comes to pass, there's no rain, but then the scripture says that as the enemies are pressing in, it's now time for rain. He gets the word. He tells the servant, like, now is the time for rain. The enemy's uh, coming against us. We need this rain to happen. You guys know the story. If you don't, check it out. But he tells the servant, go out, go out and look at the clouds. We need this rain in our life. We need this rain. We need this to happen in our life. Many of you, you have rain that you need in your life. Or you know somebody who really needs some rain in their life. And of course, I'm not talking about natural rain. I'm talking about God's provision, God's breakthrough, God's victory, God's freedom for your family, for a child, for some career situation you're in, but you need rain. So he says, go, 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 go check for rain. And the servant comes back and he says, there was nothing there. There was nothing there. Some of you have a situation in your life right now. Again, maybe a teenager, maybe a career situation, something in your health, whatever it is. And the report on the horizon of your life is give it up. There's nothing there. Elijah says, no, no, no. I'm going to declare and I'm going to decree and I'm going to continue to say what the Lord showed me. There is rain on the way. So he sends him again. Go see. And they come back. There's nothing there. I don't know how many hallways <laughs> or bedrooms kids' rooms you've walked through, and the enemy keeps whispering to you, there's nothing there. There's no rain on their way for your life. That addiction's not going anywhere. There's no rain. That mental health situation's not going to get any rain. There's nothing there. And the prophet said, oh, no, no, no. 
I'm going to keep declaring. Go check again. You know why you're going to check again? Because guess what? There's rain on the way. The word of the Lord is that there's rain on the way. There's rain on the way. So finally, the servant goes back, seven times goes back and says, hey, guess what? I see a little something, a cloud the size of a man's hand. There's just a little bit there. Elijah's like, perfect. So all we need is a little bit in the hands of God, right? So I'm just here to say to you, I don't know what your situation is right now. It may seem like it's nothing there. Or maybe for you, you're just seeing little clouds coming up on the horizon. I'm here to say today when we pray that we're going to declare the rain is coming. Are you with me today? The rain is coming over this generation. The rain is coming over this city. This rain is, are you, are you with me today? So whatever it is in your life, financial, physical, emotional, somebody you know, I believe in the power of intercession. And so we're going to pray that God is going to let it rain. We're going to declare, we're going to use these words to bring life. So right now where you are, just to yourself, pray as I pray, but believe that God is doing it now by his spirit. I'm going to pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you're not an idol made by man. You're not some God put together by humans, but you are the all-powerful King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Lord, I thank you that you care about and you're concerned for what we are living in and walking through. You're not absent from our lives, but you're, you're, the scripture says you're present. You're ever present in our time of trouble. So God, I pray for every person who feels like there's nothing there in their life right now. There's nothing there. The, the enemy's whispering, there's nothing there. God, we ask that you send your rain. You send your provision. You send your healing now. You send your restoration. God, I pray that in minds that feel like they're in a desert, they feel like they've been in a drought, they feel like there's no rain, there's no, there's no life in their thought life. God, I pray right now that you restore minds. You restore psyche. Lord, you restore the way that people see and value themselves. God, we come against any work of the enemy that would try to hinder or hold back. We pray that those come to naught. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm telling you, use these words. I know I'm a little bit long, but use these. Walk up and down hallways in your house and say, the rain's coming. The rain's coming. You walk into your workplaces and say, rain's coming. You walk into your bank if your finances need rain. And you say, Lord, make it rain in here today. <laughs> but believe it. Declare it. Speak those scriptures over your life. Amen.